The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Providing insight and resources for your spiritual journey. Unity Online Radio. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, where spirituality and recovery meet with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D. Now, here's your host, Reverend Anna Schaus. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth in recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host. Thank you all for listening with us today. I'm very glad that you have joined us. Thank you so much for liking Spirit of Recovery on Facebook. We've got a Spirit of Recovery page, so it's great to get your uh, likes and to know that you're seeing what we're posting on there and to hear what you have to say on there. And thank you also for your emails, for letting me know how it's going for you in your recovery, your spirituality walk. And thank you so much for participating with us here on uh, Spirit of Recovery. I thank you also for letting your friends and the people in your recovery and unity community know about the show. It's great to be broadcasting on the topic of recovery and spirituality here on unityonlineradio.org. And um, again, great to hear from you. Great to know that what I'm doing here and the great guests that are on here are doing a lot for you and making a difference, opening uh, up some new avenues, some new thoughts, some new ideas, and some inspiration for you in your recovery recovery walk. Every week we talk about topics that are important to the recovery community with guests who are down to earth, knowledgeable and innovative. My guests are either people who are in recovery themselves or who work with or write for or engaged in the recovery community in some manner and often all the above. And the guests bring you practical information that you can use and lively discussions that get you thinking. You know that you can listen to us here on Spirit of Recovery in a variety of ways. You can listen um, live. You can listen via your computer, via your smartphone. You can listen to archives. We've got lots of great archived programs. And um, so there's plenty for you here on Spirit of Recovery. You can go to unityonlineradio.org slash program slash Spirit of Recovery and access all those great archives on demand. Also, I want you to know that if you would like to financially support UnityOnlineRadio.org, help support Spirit of Recovery and the many other great programs that are on this online network, you can do that very easily. Simply text from your smartphone, 727, text to Unity Radio, and you can make a one-time contribution or an ongoing contribution. And that is very welcome and very much appreciated. I want you to know that Spirit of Recovery is a welcoming place. If you're a person that's in recovery from any kind of an addiction, or if you're the family member or friend of someone that has the disease of addiction, perhaps you're in your own recovery as a family member or friend, or maybe not. Maybe your loved one is or isn't in recovery. Whatever. We're glad you're here. We're glad you're listening. We're glad you're a part of what we're doing here. Um, Perhaps you're just curious about the process of recovery, looking for information, and want to learn more about it. We're glad you're here. We welcome your participation in our discussions. We're happy for you to um, send in an email or call in with your comment or question for my guest today. Again, my name is Anna Schaus, and I am your Spirit of Recovery host. 
I'm a unity minister and also an addictions counselor. I'm also a person who has in my own circle of love and friendship many people with the disease of addiction. And over 33 years ago, those relationships got me started on an active path of personal growth and spiritual development. And ever since that time, my walk has been an integration of unity principles and recovery principles. And that keeps transforming my life and keeps me growing in deeper ways. So I am very grateful, very delighted to have the opportunity to share these ideas with you, to bring great guests to you, and to hear what you're experiencing in your spirituality and recovery walk. Today, our program is on families and communities together, creating resources for recovery. Um, We're living in such an exciting time uh, in the recovery community because there's so much good stuff happening. And uh, one of those great things that's happening is uh, communities, families are learning how to create new resources for recovery. You know, science has verified pretty clearly that, very clearly, that addiction is a brain disease, that it impairs the ability of the person that's in the throes of that addiction to make good decisions. And so uh, when somebody is in active addiction, they're not making uh, those good decisions, and it ha- it's important that the people around them, the actions of their family, the community, um, are uh, there to support that person in getting into effective treatment, and then hopefully through that treatment process, that person will begin their entry into long-term recovery. My guest today is a person that knows a lot about this, and I know you're going to just really benefit from what she has to share today. My guest is Sharon Blair, and Sharon lost her daughter, Jennifer, to a drug overdose in 2009. And at that time, Sharon made a commitment that she was going to advocate for effective community action and effective laws that families and those close to people with addiction can use to help launch that person into a recovery process. Sharon is very active at this time working on what she calls what is called the Jennifer Act and you can go to Sharon's website which is thejenniferact.com it's Jennifer J-E-N-N-I-F-E-R-A-C-T thejenniferact.com and you can learn uh, more about what Sharon's doing and she's also got lots of resources on there. Uh, Sharon is, is very active. She is a, a wonderful advocate as a family member. Sharon's also a person of, of great faith and great trust in um, spirit and God, and she is uh, working a lot to help families and communities support people in getting into recovery. So Sharon, welcome to Spirit of Recovery. So glad you're here. Well, thank you, and it's a pleasure to be here. And thank you for that nice introduction. I appreciate that. You are most welcome. Would you tell us, I, I know it's it's a a painful story, but would you tell us, Sharon, a bit about how you have gotten involved in working for better processes of launching people into recovery? What's what's your story? Well, my story is I'm a mother of four children, two boys and two girls, and my middle daughter, Jennifer, uh, she became... um, She decided to start experimenting with um, marijuana and alcohol and drugs uh, when she was about 15, uh, to the best of my knowledge. It was around age 15. And um, that experimentation with drugs uh, turned into an addiction, and that addiction became chronic, and that chronic addiction lasted 13 years. And that addiction spiraled her into death from an overdose. So that's how I got started in the recovery business, I guess you would call it. Um, I was my daughter's advocate. I was really just her mother trying to save her life. But I quickly became known as uh, her advocate uh, because I was advocating to save her life. And I was going to extreme measures to make that happen. Mm-hmm. And it was very, it was very painful, and it was very eye opening. And I was not seasoned in addiction. I didn't know anything about addiction. I didn't understand how it affects the brain. I didn't understand why people can't just stop using. I didn't understand why they refuse treatment for themselves. I didn't understand 
relapse, I didn't understand how quickly people could spiral into addiction and how it, they can die. Um, I realized it pretty quickly on that it really is a very serious situation that my daughter was in, and I was scrambling as her mother to gather resources and find help, and it became, it became, I guess you would use the word obsession, uh, to find help, and I know that can be a bad word. Um, you can be, you know, an enabler, a codependent parent. You can be all these things and wear all these hats that people call you, but in the, in the big scheme of things, you're trying to get the addictive child to a place of help before they die. So mm -hmm. that is the goal, and that's all that mothers really are trying to do at this point is to get help uh, before their child perishes. So that's how my mission began. Mm -hmm. When you were uh, looking for help for Jennifer, what were some of the first things that you uh, found, or what were what were some of the places that you started looking? And she was a teenager, I'm assuming, when you first started to get look for help. Is that accurate? She was still a teen. Yes, mm -hmm. yes um, she was. Um, actually, in the state of Florida, where we lived, um, at age 16, you can leave home, and mm -hmm. so um, that's exactly what Jennifer did. She um, was in high school. And as she turned age 16 in December, um, she left home to go stay with a friend. And when I went to get her from the friend's house to come back home and, you know, get back in school, um, I had to call a policeman to the residence and ask him to help me that, you know, Jennifer was rebelling and she was experimenting with drugs and I needed her to come back home and I needed his assistance. And he informed me that in the state of Florida, um, it is legal to leave home at age 16, and it is legal to quit school at age 16, but that I was responsible for her and everything she did until she was 18 years old. So I think that was the first red flag that went up in my mind, which blew my mind that I can have a child um, that I'm responsible for but that child doesn't have to live at my house and doesn't have to go to school. So then it just really was an eye-opener for me. And then I knew that drugs were involved in this, too. So I was, you know, I had a lot of balls up in the air. I was juggling, trying to figure out how to help. So that's where I realized that, you know, law enforcement needs to be our friend when we're parents and we have this crisis. We, we need the law enforcement to be on our side, not to be our enemy, but to be our helper and our friend because we're mm -hmm. just trying to be a parent and we're trying to do the right thing. And mm -hmm. uh, so that's where I, I think my first experiences with the law enforcement came in with that, that, that episode right there. And then I quickly became well aware of um, police and sheriffs and courts and all of that um, during the addiction that continued to progress. Um, it went from prescription pills uh, to a chronic addiction, uh, which ended up into heroin with Jennifer. And then I knew we were in trouble and that we were in a life and death situation. So it was quite a journey. And I was looking for resources, too, you know. During this time, I was trying to figure out how to connect Jennifer to um, secular treatment that were, was local in the community and the county and how to connect her to, more importantly, I was searching out faith-based treatment, and that was, that's what I knew would be the answer, would be the key, would be to connect her with faith-based treatment because that would be her powerhouse would be God. And mm -hmm. I knew that she was a Christian. We were Christians. We were, they, I raised my kids in the church and she was a Christian. So I knew that we needed to get that kind of help. Um, so I started, you know, searching on the internet for faith-based treatment um, in my local area. And then 
outside of my area and actually in my state of where uh, where we could go to to get help. Um, the problem is when someone's addicted, if they don't want it, if they don't feel that they have a problem or they don't want to address their problem, um, it's very difficult to force them into treatment. That's where the Jennifer Act comes in because I was seeing a need that we need to be able to enforce, especially addicted teenagers, we need to be able to get them into treatment even if it's against their wishes uh, because they're so far gone, you know, on the drugs that they don't even see how bad it is. I mean, they are they are drowning in their own poison that they're self-imposing and they don't see how how bad their addiction is. So I saw a real need for, you know, we need a tool for parents. We need something where we can go and we can plead our case um, to a judge and we need to be able to say, we need this child picked up. We need this child taken to a professional hospital, professional place of, of um, an assessment, an evaluation, and a, a treatment plan um, because they're going to die. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's life and death. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just life and death. I don't, I don't know how. I, I tell this for six years now to lawmakers, you know, this is life mm-hmm. and death. I mean, people are chronically ill. It's a chronic condition. There's stages to addiction, and the last and final stage is they die. So what can we do about it, and what is the humane thing to do? What is the humane thing to do to help someone? And so that's really what the spirit of the Jennifer Act is all about, is facilitating that addicted person, that broken person, severely um, intoxicated. How do we bridge that person from that state of mind um, and uh, mental and physical condition to um, an opportunity of treatment. And mm-hmm. so that's what I've been working on. Right. That's wonderful. And, you know, I think different states have different laws, but some like have like a 72-hour hold or something like that. And so I'm assuming Florida had that, but it's only like, what, maybe three days or whatever number of hours that is, right? So that that's not really enough time hardly for a person to detox almost, really. No, it's not enough time. It's not enough time um, to get the drugs out of your body. And, you know, opiates, I've seen seen what opiates do to people, and it's so devastating, and they're so sick. You know, they're they're doing mass quantities of opiates, and they're, they're so impaired that it takes days to detoxify all of that poison out of their, you know, their, their bloodstream and out of their, you know, their brain needs time to recover. Their body is in bad shape. Um, a, an active addict, um, they are physically not in good shape. I mean, physically, they're not in good shape. Mentally, they're not in good shape. Spiritually, they're not in good shape. Uh, they need a hospital, you know, because mm-hmm. these people are sick and 72 hours, picks them up off the street and puts them in a holding cell and someone looks at them that's a professional and says, yes, you definitely are an addict, and then the doors open and they walk out and go back and use drugs again. So to me, that's nonproductive. Um, it's not doing anything. The, the only thing a 72-hour hold does where I could see it would work for someone possibly would be for someone who is suicidal and mm-hmm. they are threatening to, you know, slit their wrist, uh, you know, jump off the bridge. They've had it, and they're they're suicidal. I mean, a 72-hour hold would be very important for a person who is getting ready to kill themselves because it, it intervenes, it gets them away from the danger that they're getting ready to inflict upon themselves, and it gets them to, um, you know, a psychiatric place of, an evaluation and a further treatment plan for that person. So the Jennifer Act is, um, it's, it's humane. It's the humane mm-hmm. thing to do is to help people because they can't help themselves. I mean, if I right. was on drugs and I was so impaired that I couldn't even lift my head up off the table, then I'm not in a very good place to be able to make phone calls, to call my insurance company, to call a doctor, to call 
the law and say, help me. I mean, I'm just not in a good place. I need help to do that. And That's so, right. Um, it's, yeah, it's like you're a power of attorney for someone who is incapacitated. Just like I'm a, I'm a power of attorney for my mother. Um, she's 80 years old, and if something happens and she can't make medical decisions for herself, I have a legal document that says I can step in immediately in an emergency, and I can make medical decisions for her, which hospital we're going to go to, which doctors to call, what we're going to do next, and I should have that same right. Parents should have that same right. Family members should have that same right to be able to intervene if one of their family members is in a crisis. Thank you so much. It's time for our break. Sharon, thank you so much for your passion and and your commitment to this. Listeners, stay with us. We'll be right back. We're talking about families and communities together, creating resources for recovery. And my guest is Sharon Blair. We'll be right back. Unity Online Radio brings you inspiring programs on a variety of spiritual topics. Giving to the network is now easier than ever. Simply text Unity Radio to 72727 from your smartphone. You can make a one-time or recurring donation. Your gifts help us offer enriching spiritual programs that reach listeners around the world. Text Unity Radio to 72727. Thank you for your support. Do you ask with childlike wonder, what is the nature of God? Who is Jesus? What is the Christ? How do we know what we know? When you ask these or other heart-centered questions about the non-physical, intangible aspects of life, you are, on some level, a student of metaphysics. New from Unity House and nearly five years in the making, Heart-Centered Metaphysics, a deeper look at Unity teachings, is now available. This is Paul Hasselbeck, author of this quintessential study guide. Enjoy a deeper exploration of universal spiritual principles and truths, whether you are just starting or have been seeking for years. Each thought-provoking chapter of Heart-Centered Metaphysics speaks to truth-seekers like you providing essential tools to help elevate your consciousness and create spiritual transformations in your outer life and circumstances. Order your copy today from the Unity Online Store at www.unity.org. Then click on Shop. Inspiration only takes a moment. We invite you to focus your attention inward with these words from Elizabeth Searle Lamb. This is a new day. Lead your conscious mind to that still haven of your soul where your indwelling Christ opens wide the doorway of your heart. At once, mind, soul, and body, you are flooded with the light and love of God. You are lifted high above this earthly plane and filled with the radiance of spirit. Send this love and light on to those whom you hold dear so that it may uplift heal and comfort them as you send this radiance on you are filled with a new sense of god's power and you release this power to the whole world to uplift guide and bless all people a day's tasks await you but god is with you and with god's help all shall be done perfectly this meditative moment is brought to you by unity For listening to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Anna Schaus and her guest. If you have a question or comment or experience with today's topic that you'd like to share, call us now at 888-55-UNITY. That's 888-558-6489. Call now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unityonlineradio.org. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host. 
My guest today is Sharon Blair, and Sharon is working very diligently and in wonderful ways to help families and communities create better resources for recovery to support people that have the disease of addiction and or mental illness uh, get into a recovery process. Sharon uh, made a commitment when her daughter Jennifer died of an overdose in 2009. Sharon made a commitment that she was going to advocate for effective community action and laws that support uh, recovery. And Sharon has a website called The Jennifer Act. It's J-E-N-N-I-F-E-R-A-C-T, thejenniferact.com. And there's lots of great information and wonderful resources on there. And Sharon is also a person of great faith. So uh, she's sharing with us uh, her experience and what she's learned and, and the great stuff that she's doing. Before I get back to my conversation with Sharon, I invite you to take a moment to join me in a brief meditation, the Serenity Minute. A moment to settle in, to make conscious connection uh, in your own awareness with your higher power as you understand your higher power. So I invite you to relax and know that God, your higher power, whatever you call that higher power, is right here, right now with you. I invite you to share with me this constructive idea. I trust my higher power's love to connect me with the resources that support me and my loved ones. I trust my higher power's love to connect me with the resources that support the healing and the well-being of me and my loved ones. And now we take a moment in the quiet. friends for joining me in the Serenity Minute and I trust that it was an opportunity for you to make that connection, that conscious contact with the love of your higher power. And now I'm back to my conversation with my guest, Sharon Blair, and she is sharing with us what she's doing and the wonderful, interesting networks that she's uh, making and creating with families and people across this uh, United States in uh, supporting people and getting into recovery. So, um, Sharon, before the break, you were telling us about how important it is, um, at, just as you have a, a power of attorney with your mother who's elderly, um, if she should not be able to make medical decisions for herself, why it's important for families to be able to um, help those, help their uh, children, help those that they care about to also be able to make some decisions for them because People are impaired when they're in active addiction. They're not making good decisions. So um, you have learned so much. I'm just impressed with how much you know about the disease of addiction. And you said earlier in the program, Sharon, that you didn't, when you all this started um, with your daughter, Jennifer, that you didn't, you didn't know anything about addiction, but you sure learned. How, how have you learned um, so much good information about addiction and recovery and how it works? Well, I think it was just trial and error. Um, you know, I mean, I was desperate. Um, I I knew that my child was going to die if we didn't get help and treatment. So that is the greatest motivator for any mother. If a mother um, feels there's um, their child's life is in danger and they're threatened um, and they're in the throes of... Um, addiction to the point of close to death, um, you you get busy real fast and you just, you won't stop. I mean, I, I think back now on that time and I, you know, 13 years is a long time. I was in my 40s mm-hmm. and up into my 50s, um, early 50s, I'm 57 now. So, I mean, that was in my, uh, when I was in my 40s and um, I just really didn't realize anything about addiction or anything about um, what treatment was or how it 
how it all connects and how it all needs to happen and what and the layers of it and all that. Um, so, like I said, I think it was just realizing that my child was in danger and that she was going to die and that it was going to be up to me to figure out how we can facilitate her to the treatment before she dies. Uh, that was a very lonely time for me. I, I look back on it now and I see... Um, I felt very isolated. I felt very alone. I felt um, I was living in crisis, like complete crisis mode. Um, I lost a lot of weight. I couldn't sleep. Um, I lived in fear, even though I'm a Christian, even though I trusted God with Jennifer's life, even though I knew he was in charge of everything, that still didn't um, comfort me as a mother because the fear factor was there. So, um, you know, I relate to post-traumatic stress. I, I refer to it as that. I didn't know I was living in a period of 13 years of post-traumatic stress during the time I was in it. But now that I look back on it, that's what it was. And it was a very um, isolating experience for me because none of my friends had addicted children. So they didn't understand what I was going through. They didn't understand um, the situation. And, all you know, all they could say was, you know, well, just do what you can and then continue to live your life. You still need to, you know, enjoy your life and have fun, mm -hmm. <laughs> which is kind of funny for people to say that to you because there's just, you know, I'm on a group on Facebook called The Addict's Mom, T-A-M. And these mm -hmm. mothers are all in crisis. These mothers are all in fear that their kids are going to die any minute, any day. And I didn't have Facebook back then when Jennifer was addicted. And I, you know, I was just learning how to use a computer. And we didn't have Facebook and Twitter and all these different kinds of things. Um, I was just learning how to use the Internet back then and um, try to use that as a tool to help me find um treatment and programs and things um, for Jennifer. So um, I, I just feel for parents today who are listening to this, whose kids are addicted and they're doing everything they can to try to help their kids, um, I really feel for them. I have empathy and sympathy and compassion for them because I know what they're feeling. I, I get contacted by parents whose kids have just died. And they call me, I told you that last week, and they openly right. speak with me and cry with me. I don't mm -hmm. even know them. They're all over the United States. And they feel that it's okay to talk to me, even though they don't know me, because I'm open and honest on my website and my blog pages. And so people feel that I would understand. So in the big mm -hmm. scheme of things, I think that God wants us to help people. He wants us to use our gifts and talents, whatever they are, and use those to bless other people, to encourage other people, to share with other people, and pray with those people and lend them emotional support, provide spiritual guidance, provide resources, stand with these people that need help. I mean, that's what we're supposed to do. I mean, that's what God calls us to do. And I wish I would have had that kind of support when my child was addicted. So I yeah. Did you what kind of support did did, did you have? Did, were there some places where you got some support for yourself during that time or not? There was one place called Caring People Ministries in Bowling Green, which I found on the website. It was a faith-based program, and you had asked me earlier before the break if Jennifer had received any kind of treatment. The answer was yes. Um, mm -hmm. Caring People Ministries. In Bowling Green, Florida, um, it's way out in the country, little teeny tiny town. Uh, that program was a mother and a father and a son team, uh, the Parkers. Miss um, Gail passed away of cancer, but it was Gail Parker, Johnny Parker, and um, their son, Mark Parker. Uh, they were um, support to me the best they could. They, they knew about addiction, obviously. Their son, Mark, had suffered from addiction. And he had went through a faith-based program in Florida called um, the Dunklin Program, which is in Okeechobee, mm -hmm. Florida. And mm -hmm. I saw that he was a changed man because he was able to get faith-based treatment. 
So I think that seed really grew inside me on faith-based treatment and what faith-based treatment can do and how important and critical it is to get people to treatment programs. And that um, testimony that Mark shared with me about how it helped him, but it took time. He was in there over a year, um, but it it takes time. And, And I just, I learned as I went, that's all I can say, is that every time you know, Jennifer relapsed, and every time she went back to jail because of the addiction, I learned a little bit more and a little bit more every time. And Mm -hmm. to the place where I'm very comfortable about talking about this subject today because I can talk about it because I know this, just like the back of my hand. Right. I know what it it takes to help people. So um, I want to encourage anybody who's listening, because I know we're on the air, uh, Mm -hmm. to... um, if you don't have addiction in your family, but you just happen to find this station, um, please be a friend to someone who does have um, an active addiction going on in their family, whether it's their husband, their wife, their brother, their sister, their child. These people are in crisis. They're hurting bad, and they need, they need a friend. They need you to stand with them. Even if you don't know exactly what to do, just be, where, be with them, pray with them, uh, help them find resources, um, share my website with them, the jenniferact.com. They, they really need a friend, really. You know, we're in such a busy world that we don't have time to give our attention to people that are hurting, and we've got a whole big hurting world out there with many, many problems. I mean, kids are from broken families. Uh, they don't have mommy and daddy and the white picket fence and everybody goes to church and sits down and eats dinner at 6. I mean, it, we're not in that world anymore. It's not leave it to beaver. It's not that anymore. And, you know, families are fragmented and grandparents are raising grandchildren because the parents are addicted or they're in prison. I mean, we just really need to connect with each other, whether it's someone you work with or someone that's your neighbor or someone from church. We, we, we need to help people and be a friend to people. So I encourage everyone listening to do that today. Thank you. Yeah, that re- that's beautiful, and it, it really, really is it's important. It, it, it's a big deal. You know, as you well know, sometimes people have a lot of judgmentalness about mm-hmm. addiction. And some, sometimes people will say, well, it's just all about willpower and they could quit if they want and all that business. Um, that's mm-hmm. not true, is it? It's not, no. not quite true. Um, yeah. Well, um, I do know, I know a lot of people that are in recovery. And I do know some, in, in particular, I know um, some people who were able, whether it's willpower or the power of God and their communication with God helping them, that they did not have to go to treatment, that they were able to um, battle their demons um, and not, without the need of treatment, uh, and I'm always fascinated by those few people because for the majority, that's not the case. Uh, But I do know a lot of people that are in recovery. Most all of the people I know, it was a lot of work. Um, They had Uh to go through a lot of steps and be determined that they wanted their sobriety and they wanted their recovery, and they would work it like a job to make that happen uh, because I always tell people there is no drive-through treatment. Uh, we, we seem to want everything by the snap of a finger, and we want um, addiction to go away and treatment to come and recovery to happen, snap, snap, snap. And it just doesn't happen that way usually. I mean, it, it takes time. It takes energy. It takes effort. It takes work. It takes networking with other people who are um, in recovery that can be your role model and your mentor and your sponsor. I mean, it, it just takes time to get well, but it's possible. Recovery is possible, and people do recover, and people can uh, live in recovery, and it's a beautiful thing. So, I mean, I, I, I've seen both sides of it. I've seen my daughter dead in her casket because of addiction, And I've seen beautiful souls um, that are alive and well and happy today. So 
it can go either way. Um, but the main thing is helping people um, get treatment services to have the opportunity. That's what the Jennifer Act is. It gives people an opportunity. It's not a guarantee. It's not an insurance plan that's 100% foolproof. It's, it's an opportunity for lawmakers in each state to see a need that's affecting their constituents and their um, people that are living in their little communities and their towns and their states and saying, you know, we need to help these people. They need treatment. We, we need to fund treatment services for these folks because most of them are indigent because of their addiction. They've lost their jobs. They've lost their insurance. They don't have money to pay for their treatment. Um, so we need to address this crisis. It's a, you know, the homeless population is incredible. The um, incarceration rate is skyrocketing. We're housing them in, in incarcerations and we're putting them in prisons because we don't know what to do with those people, people suffering from addiction. So we want to lock them up and then we don't have to look at them, but we're still not treating the problem. And the problem is these people are hurting and they're sick and they need help to get well. And these people sitting in prisons are somebody's daughter, somebody's son. Uh, a lot of them are parents. They have children. The children are hurting because their parents are incarcerated. Um, so to help these folks incarcerated that are nonviolent offenders that are in there because they're suffering from addiction and they don't know how to help themselves, it's, again, the humane thing to do to offer treatment services to help people so we can mend their souls and mend their bodies, mend their families, save lives, save taxpayers' money. I mean, it, it goes on and on and on how we can rejuvenate our society and our, the United States of America. I mean, it's a patriotic thing to me to <laughs> look at our country and say, you know, we're in a mess here. I mean, we need to be doing some things to, to, to help our communities and to help our state. And I've right. asked for the Jennifer Act to be a national law. This needs to be in every state. Every state. Hold on to that thought. It's time for our break, and we'll be right back, and we'll talk about that when we come back. Thank you, Sharon. Thank you. For, you have such a compassionate heart. My guest is Sharon Blair. We're talking about uh, families and communities creating resources for recovery together. Stay with us. We'll be right back on Spirit of Recovery. He's the most talked about figure in history. How do you see Jesus? As a savior, a way shower, a mythical hero. In his cutting-edge new book, Jesus 2.1, An Upgrade for the 21st Century, Reverend Dr. Thomas Shepard explores the many human concepts of Jesus. The man of Nazareth has been an imaginary spiritual playmate for millions. Best friend, confidant, silent lover, surrogate father, brother, husband, trusted king when earthly governments fail, all-purpose superhero who will save the day before the final credits roll. Jesus is like a program that has been adapted through the ages while the basic code remains undisturbed despite all subsequent modifications. Now it is our time to rewrite and reinstall the Jesus program with updates for today, just as every previous generation has done and every subsequent generation will do. The Romans killed Jesus for being a revolutionary. Every succeeding generation kills him anew by losing sight of the ongoing revolution in human consciousness that he represents. Explore the new book, Jesus 2.1, at www.shopunity.org. God is formless, yet takes many forms. What goes around comes around. Chant the name of the Lord and be free. No one comes to the Father except through me. Ever been confused by the variety and apparent contradiction within world religions? Join Reverend Paul John Roach every Tuesday for insight into those principles held in common by all the great religious traditions in world spirituality, exploring the unity within all cultures and faith traditions. Using discussions, interviews, humor, insight, and practice, 
practical advice, we will clarify the confusion and reveal simple yet profound truths. Call in with your questions and ideas and help break down the barriers that separate us from one another. That's World Spirituality with Paul John Roach, Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, here on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. Listening to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, with your host, Reverend Anna Schaus, PhD. And now, here's Anna. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. If you're just joining us, my name is Anna Schaus. I'm your host, and my guest today is Sharon Blair. We're talking about families and communities together, creating resources for recovery. And Sharon is sharing with her, us her passion and her commitment to advocating for effective community laws and action to help um, loved ones get into treatment and hopefully launching them into long-term recovery. Sharon um, has a website called the Jennifer Act, J-E-N-N-I-F-E-R-A-C-T dot com, and uh, she's got lots of great resources on there. So, Sharon, before the break, you were telling us about um, your uh, passion for the Jennifer Act being not just state-by-state but being a national um, initiative. What is exactly the Jennifer Act? Tell us that it is a bill, and uh, would you read some to us about what it exactly is? Oh, I'd be glad to. I'll read just a few sentences because we don't have a lot of time, but um, it is basically a mental health and substance abuse bill. It authorizes a family member of a patient or an interested party to petition a court for the appointment of a guardian advocate. It establishes substance abuse assistance. Uh, This year in Florida, we're working on a pilot program, which I'm excited about, with the Department of Children and Families. Um, It authorizes an adult with capacity to execute a mental health or substance abuse treatment advanced directive and uh, it would prohibit criminal prosecution um, of a healthcare facility, a provider, or a surrogate who acts um, as an advocate for um, to address the mental health and substance abuse uh, treatment decisions for someone suffering from addiction uh, who is impaired and they're not in their right mind to make rational decisions. So. That's uh, a short synopsis of, of really what it what it is. Um, I wanted to say there's a lot of opposition from for this bill uh, because we are in the United States of America. We're all about freedom, um, and people want their freedom. Freedom, they have rights, um, and so this bill would temporarily uh, intervene in in a crisis situation, and the individual who is chronically addicted. Um, would temporarily um, not have their rights um, to um, make their decisions for themselves during the initial part of getting them to a hospital or a treatment facility, but it is overseen by a judge, by a court of law. Uh, that person is um, ordered a public defender to make sure that they're represented, and um, it's basically an act of love uh, where you're intervening for someone who can't intervene for themselves, and you're helping them get into um, treatment and into a hospital setting where they can get a professional evaluation. Um, But I do have a lot of opposition uh, because Mm -hmm. of that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it, how you're trying to save someone's life, but the, uh, the opposing side would rather fight for them to have freedom than, um, I guess, that is greater than uh, planning their funeral, I guess, because that mm-hmm. seems to be the thing I hear every year. Yeah, you know, and the science is on the side of of, of uh, getting people into treatment. Again, we know that p- treatment is no magic pill. People, said people can go to treatment thirty five times and never stay in long term recovery. Um, that's a fact. At the same time, the science is that uh, if a person gets into treatment and if they uh, get to stay um, 
a, a bit longer. I don't, I don't, couldn't tell you the numbers now, but if they're uh, there for an appropriate length of time beyond like the traditional, old, and that's old now anyway, the 28 days, that they have a much better chance of entering into long-term recovery because it does yeah. have to do with um, getting the mind clear, having that time to do that, getting the body up, some health going, and, and then having that time to start learning some new skills. So the science is really on, very much on the side of helping people get into treatment, helping them stay in it for a reasonable amount of time, and, um, and they have a much better chance of entering long-term uh, sobriety than if yes, you don't. Yes, they do. So. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to say a couple things here before we have to go. Um, the Jennifer Act isn't just an advocacy for a bill, although that has been my six-year passion. I have taken my initial passion for just pass a bill, intervene, and help save lives. I've also now taken it to different levels where I go into schools and churches and other organizations, and I bring my own materials, and I do um, drug awareness and drug education um, seminars, and uh, I enjoy doing that. I go this year. I did something new. I went into elementary schools. I talked to elementary kids, third through fifth grade. I spoke to an entire middle school, an entire high school, and I share Jennifer's story. I, I bring it down to the age appropriate level of the child of children that I'm speaking with, and um, I talk to them about the dangers of drugs. I talk to them about substances, what are they, and that includes tobacco, um, marijuana, alcohol, um, prescription pills, and illegal drugs, too. And um, I give them just, I, I, SAMHSA and NIDA both mail me box loads of free um, literature, and I bring and those that are government to the agencies, by the way, just so people know, those are government agencies, yeah, which do mm-hmm. produce stuff. So they mail you all their stuff, right, stuff that you want. And- right. So they know me now, um, and if I call and say I'm sharing from the Jennifer Act, I'm getting ready to do a school, uh, I'm getting ready to do a church um, event, uh, they just say, how much do you need? And they send me an order, and they ship it to me. So my garage is full of all kinds of uh, materials on the different drugs and alcohol and tobacco um, so my goal is to educate so that we can prevent abuse from occurring. And we also, I bring resources that if you are addicted or you have a friend who's addicted or is experimenting with drugs, I give them resources so that they can get help um, for that person um, so that hopefully they don't have to perish because they're addicted to um, substances. So I I think there's just a lot of things that I can do. Mm -hmm. And um, so I just, I try to just cover all those areas of of drug education, drug awareness, drug prevention, connecting resources to people who are already addicted, address legislation to um, get lawmakers to get on board and see the importance of saving lives. So um, I'm busy all the time. But there's just a lot of work to do. There's just a lot of things that we can be doing to help people. And I don't see enough. I don't see enough of that going on. And um, nothing changes if nothing changes. And we need to stand up and be the one. And so that's what I encourage other people to do. I just finished taping a documentary. Um, um, It's called The American Epidemic. And um, I got... Um, contacted by a gentleman, Michael DeLeon, from New Jersey, and he did one documentary called Kids Are Dying, and um, he gave me a copy of the trailer of that. So he came down to Florida and taped me um, with an interview about the Jennifer Act and what I'm doing, and that will be on his new uh, documentary, which is called um, An American Epidemic. So that's going to be coming out real soon. And how can people find that, some, Sharon? If they, how could they? How could people locate that? Is it going to be? I believe they can the type in. Uh, yeah, type in um, theamericanepidemic.org, dot org, mm-hmm. or they can type in steered straight. Okay. And they can type in kids are dying. Okay. If they type in either of those things, kids are dying, steered straight. Uh, an American epidemic, they'll be able to find um, Michael DeLeon's uh, work that he's doing. Um, he's in recovery. He was a real inspiration for me to, to meet and talk with. And um, 
he's been in jail, prison, been addicted, the whole gamut, and he's came out the other side, praise God, and he's using every ounce of everything that's in his body to address this problem um, that, you know, our kids are dying. And, and he's raising awareness, and he's taking it to the streets. He's traveling all over the United States with his um, ministry, and I really am thankful that he contacted me and I was able to be a part of the documentary. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. found a couple of weeks ago Camp Aaron, uh, the Moyer mm-hmm. Foundation, and Camp Mariposa, and mm-hmm. that's also the Moyer Foundation, and, and I just really like what they're doing because they're helping families who are affected by addiction, the children uh, whose parents are addicted, uh, these children whose parents are dying um, from overdoses, and their free camps that they're offering. It's a wonderful foundation um, that I've just recently found a couple of weeks ago, and I'm just thrilled to know about this because it's another resource that I can offer um, to other people who contact me. So there's just a lot of... Uh, a lot of good things we can do. I think the key is connecting the dots, you know, the, you know, the Michael DeLeon's and the Moyer Foundation and the, the Jennifer Act and all these things. If we can collect the pieces to the puzzle, puzzle and put it all together, uh, we can really um, create a movement in America to help people. So I think it's wonderful. Thank you so much, Sharon, for what you're doing, and thank you for your commitment to Jennifer and uh, and what all the amazing work and love that you're putting out there that are making a big difference, and you're helping people. And thank you so much for doing that. Thank you for being my guest today here. Appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. It's been my pleasure. Listeners, thank you for listening today. and. Um, Many blessings to you. Know that God's love and wholeness is guiding you forward as you help yourself and help others. Uh, stay with us and during the week and know that we'll be right back next week on Spirit of Recovery. God bless. Thank you for listening to Spirit of Recovery with Rev. Anna Schaus, Ph.D., and her guests. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central Time for down-to-earth ideas about keeping spirituality at the heart of your recovery. This program is brought to you in part by Soul Matters Ministry, committed to bringing light to the soul. Online at soulmatters-spiritworks.org. Does the idea of being a vegetarian or a vegan intrigue you? Is it something you've pondered? Listen each week as Victoria Moran, author of Main Street Vegan, shows you how to make the shift to a sustainable lifestyle for both you and the planet. Each week you'll learn about the latest on the vegan life. It's not just for celebrities and moguls, but for people just like you who want to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Guests will range from unity ministers to vegan authors, activists, physicians, chefs, and even some of those glittery celebs. There'll be recipes, ideas, tips for going vegan at your own pace, and ways to make a difference for animals and the planet at every meal. Tune in Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Central Time for Main Street Vegan, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Inspiration only takes a moment. We invite you to focus your attention inward with these words from Elizabeth Searle Lamb. This is a new day. Lead your conscious mind to that still haven of your soul where your indwelling Christ opens wide the doorway of your heart. At once, mind, soul, and body, you are flooded with the light and love of God. 
You are lifted high above this earthly plane and filled with the radiance of spirit. Send this love and light on to those whom you hold dear so that it may uplift, heal, and comfort them. As you send this radiance on, you are filled with a new sense of God's power, and you release this power to the whole world to uplift, guide, and bless all people. A day's tasks await you, but God is with you, and with God's help, all shall be done perfectly. This meditative moment is brought to you by Unity. Are you ready to ignite your best life and illuminate the world? I'm Stephanie James. I'm a motivational speaker, transformation coach, and psychotherapist. And what lights me up is helping people just like you create the greatest versions of themselves. On my podcast, Igniting the Spark, I will help you ignite your joy and reach new heights in your personal and professional life. Join me for some incredible conversations with authors, spiritual teachers, and other influential thought leaders to help guide you on your way. If you are ready to stop playing small, join me for Igniting the Spark on the mindbodyspirit.fm network or wherever you get your podcasts and ignite your best life.